What is going on, everybody? This is the Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, I've lost Jacob here quick. Oh my gosh, that's okay. We're sorry, we've been, having, we've been having technical camera weirdness, but uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have it all working in about one sec here. I'm sorry for the inauspicious uh, <laughs> opening to the episode. No, that's um, okay. This is the Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast Network. This is episode 157 of the Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast. Uh, I can't wait to talk about week one. I hope your week one wins were glorious, and I hope your week one losses were not as painful as the Denver Broncos. That was brutal. We have news, reactions, things that stuck out to us. No Billy today, so no stat corner, but that's okay. We are going to have some waiver wire discussions. Again, what stood out to us, what we're looking forward to, lots to get through and lots to cover. So I'm not going to waste too much time here. I just want to mention they can go to truenorthffb.com slash full tilt to get all of our previous shows and all of our content you can also get to the full tilt dynasty podcast network discord which has been a phenomenal growing community just a great time there and also if you haven't already please sub rate leave a comment tell me that my hat smells doesn't matter what you say just that you say it it helps drive us up the chart and it means a lot to us jacob like I said, I hope you're doing well. I, I of course, am Thomas Tipple FF. You can't see my name this time, but that's okay. We had a late scratch with Billy, so no graphics yeah. today, but that's all right. And my co-host, as always, he's a the man. Scratch. He's not. He's not. He's not injured. <laughs> he's a healthy scratch. That's right. Billy and TDP. Um, Billy Davis Price. It's it's a it's a work bereavement list is what was what we'll put it as. Uh, he is having a work emergency. And my co-host, of course. Uh, Jacob Sanderson, FF underscore RTDB, just put out another article today. You're absolutely crushing that. Can't wait to. I haven't read it yet, but I cannot wait to get to. Lots to prep for this. So let's. We're just gonna go. We're just gonna go right in. There, there is some news. It's not good news. This is bad news. This is the time of the season whenever we have news. It's usually bad. Oh, I just want to shout somebody out. Somebody got hurt. Somebody had a leg <laughs> severed. Someone has gained green. Someone, yeah, bad stuff. Or lost their job i cannot believe your indianapolis colts look we don't play in kicker leagues oh. uh but oh, wow. they booted I'm a guy who made 84 percent of his kicks over his career and they yeet him because yeah. he missed a couple with a bad hit last year and then obviously why well, and, and and he missed a pretty big one in this game yeah 84 that and he missed a 42 yard field goal to win the game Welcome to Kicker Hell, Jacob. I wouldn't know what that's like. I've had uh, Justin Tucker, but that's fine. We're not here to talk about kickers. Let's talk about ever since uh, Adam Vinatieri aged uh, poorly. Uh, ever since Adam Vinatieri, the kicker version of the Peyton Manning year, uh, kicker has not been a, a strong spot for the Colts. Rodrigo, so I've seen the eighty-four percent cited a lot. Um, I can't believe we're we're leading off this episode with kicker takes, but that's where we're at because uh, it's, it's of course my Colts, but. Uh, blanket chips doesn't have a leg he's career under 50 percent over 50 yards um and nah, in the nfl like we just can't be doing this so like he a lot of his percentage is a little bit inflated because he doesn't have the leg so they don't try him on a lot of long field goals like if it's most teams if it's a 57 yard field goal they try a field goal attempt which then lowers these teams att- uh, percentages because you're going to miss more of your 57 yarders if the colts have a 57 yard field goal they punt or they go for it um so i, I think that Blankenship's raw field goal percentage overstates his abilities. Like I've seen him come up short on two 52 yard field goal attempts. It's not it's, great. It's not good. So you're telling me that they can't trot him out there for a 64 yard attempt at winning the game when they could have just gone for it a fourth and five. That's crazy. 
absolutely maybe, insane. Maybe that would honestly, honestly, that would probably be a good thing. Like the, the <laughs> Broncos problem is having too good of a kicker. If they had Correct. a worse kicker, then they could have just won the game because they wouldn't have I, done silly things. I agree. I know Gator. I know. Look, if you missed the very start of the show, it went off the rails quick. I just had to toss out that the Colts are absolutely ruthless and they're eating what I feel to be an at least above average NFL kicker. I just thought it would be fun. Uh, but let's talk about Elijah Mitchell. He's going to miss a couple of months. I mean, he looked very good, but that game it was going to cost mm-hmm. somebody a couple of weeks and it just happened to be Elijah. Not good. I'm not enthralled with any of the other pieces in that backfield. I'm more enthralled with uh, Debo and Lance. A lot has been made about Lance's performance, by the way, but pump the brakes. All right, let's relax. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Um, So he's obviously out. We're going to talk a little bit of waivers after that. Let's move to Dak. This one, the Dallas offense already looked horrific, even with Dak playing. Now it looks worse. The offensive line is in shambles. They're still just powering it up the A-gap for no reason. And now Dak is out. Um, time to cut bait on at least in, in redraft or season long on CeeDee Lamb, or do you think he's – are you worried about the offense in general? I'll phrase that. Yeah, I mean, the offense showed a lot of reason for worry, quite quite honestly, before uh, – I have zero interest in Merlin Mack. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the offense showed a lot of reason for worry, quite frankly, before – uh Dak even got injured right they were horrendous right. in this game and I understand it's week one we often see some really bad week one performances Tampa Bay certainly has a really adept defense in particular they were starting um they starting two rookie tackles or at least yep. one rookie tackle uh and you know Todd Bowles he knows how to bring the heat so I I think it's a tough spot but I I would probably put CD now in the same kind of category as like a Deontay Johnson maybe a Brandon Cooks just guys that are going to get a lot of targets, but guys who are going to be on offenses that are going to cap them as wide receiver too, at least until Dak returns. Uh, I mean, the 211 is horrible, but he had a 38% target share. CD's not been an inefficient receiver in his career. He's been an inadequate volume earner in terms of his alpha profile. You know, I don't think he's going to have a 38% target share all year, but he earned a ton of targets. He was super inefficient. If Dak was fine and be healthy, like CD would be sort of the obvious buy low guy off of week one, probably to the extent that you wouldn't even actually be able to buy him low. Uh, But now you probably can because, you know, he he has the efficiency concerns. People might be worried fairly if he can support an offense as the number one wide receiver. And then you add in the fact that even if CD is the superstar that people want him to be coming into the season, he's not going to be that with Cooper Rush. So. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of panic time. Obviously, you're you're holding. I know there's this like buy low on CD Lamb. There's no real opportunity to buy low on someone. I don't think. You see, I just mentioned it. I just I started mentioning his boots. But what is buying low on a guy taken in the, in the second and third round who hasn't shown to be an elite player, and now everyone knows you're coming in to buy low. So that's what I mean. I think you're going to buy, end up buying at what his price should have been. Probably. I, I bet that you could get CD lamb for Michael Pittman and dynasty this week. I, and I would I, do that a hundred thousand times out of a hundred thousand times. 
Interesting. Uh, I disagree right now. We'll see. Um, never thought I'd see the day where CD could end up as a buy just, low. Wait, okay. Just to be clear, you disagree that that's gettable, or you disagree that you would take CD Lamb over Michael? I Pittman disagree that I would take CD Lamb over Michael Pittman Jr. right now. Well, the one thing we can establish then is that you certainly can buy a lot lower than you could have bought a week later, because I I, I think that people would do that. So two people are already saying that they would take Pittman and Dynasty over CD Lamb. Whether or not that ends up being the correct take that I would take Lamb over Pittman. It is inarguable based on that little anecdote. We now have a poll of two uh, and, and and it's a hundred percent rate that you can certainly buy CD lamb lower than you could have a week ago because those sure. trades were not happening. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, you're right. No, that's you. You proved your point. I mean, right there uh, to, to some that would be low, but if we're going just off base, I guess ADP your base price and quote unquote dynasty, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, George Kittle, he's going to be gone. I think we kind of knew that, but it looks like it's going to be a little bit longer than uh, – we'll just see how he does this week. Nah, he's yeeted. He's gone. Once again, like fading George Kittle, was he was one of the easiest fades um, that like all offseason, 100%, at least for myself. Um, Ty Montgomery on the IR. Jacob, I know you had just put out your article. I saw your post about how it just came out. And then an hour later, we're going to get time. Okay. We're going to talk about Ramondre later, but this is big. I mean, they might bring up JJ Taylor fantasy football, darling last year. Well, I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make. I I just don't know, but let's see. Is he still on their practice squad? He is. Yeah. They could, they could, can we get a Kevin Harris shout out? Kevin Harris. (laughs) Uh, I only saw JJ Taylor. So we're going to go with that. Uh, Next, the one that's actually important to me and the one that I think is, is actually, actually actionable is that Najee Harris is apparently fine. Was seen in a walking boot recovered from a lifts. Frank was in a walkie boot after the game, did not come back for overtime, and now uh, he's fine. He can play week two. Um, I think this is a bunch of hooey. I think this is a bunch of coach speak from from Mike Tomlin that doesn't want to tip his well, hand. Did you hear but... Mike Tomlin? Because it's player speak. Coach speak was a little more negative. Oh, really? Let's hear it. Well, I didn't they asked that. Michael. They asked, so it's, Najee said, he was like, he's like, I'm going to be at practice. I'm going to play. And they asked uh, Michael, Mike Tomlin about it. And he said, nausea's feeling good. I'm happy about that. Um, uh, and, on, and, but, uh, but it must be nice to be young. was basically his quote. So I, I think he's downplaying a little bit. I mean, I don't think he's going to miss a ton of time, but he might, I'm not hundred percent sure he's playing this week. Like, I don't think, I don't think even if he doesn't miss time, I think he's going to miss snaps. I think that this is definitely going to – I think this is one of those things that could be a couple of weeks where Najee is just absolutely shitting the bed for you unless he scores in that offense. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense did everything they could to give the Steelers offense the ball, and they it just didn't matter. There was just nothing they could do. So we'll see. I just think this one's worth keeping an eye on. I think this is – the Najee injury is one you should be keeping an eye on. Beat report, you should be keeping an eye on – what the team is saying and, and play it by ear. Obviously if they're, if they're number two and number three backs are on the waiver wire, you got to go and grab. Them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I see you smirking already. And then the last, the last well, one I, I want the CD, I posted the CD Pittman tweet um, right after, right after we came to this realization um, and the engagement is being farmed. Yeah. Or the engagement is now our, being farmed. Put our fly on the soil. That- 
<laughs> seeds are being planted. We love that. Uh, the Just one funny one I want to see is that Leonard Fournette absolutely bodied Micah Parsons on Twitter uh, about a block. I think it was just hilarious. He posted the Jordan crying meme. And anytime a player quote tweets another player with the Jordan crying meme, I got to give him a shout out. Uh, it was just absolutely hilarious to me. I love seeing that stuff. So that's the news. Do you have anything you want to add or we can we can keep going? No, that's all good for me. For, for Farmer Jacob. Um, all right, we can move on. Look, we're going to take a quick second. We come back. We're going to talk some waivers because we should get into that. It's not something we used to do, but because we're on Tuesdays, not Fridays, you get some waiver information now. Well, some I guess waiver slash fab. I mean, you should be using fab now. I mean, come on, guys. This isn't 1875. Yeah. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into it. Sit tight. We'll talk a little bit about Alan Robinson. So this week with the Rams, it's kind of like Jurassic Park 1, right? Yeah, okay. There, there's a giant T-Rex in front of you, and if you move, you are going to get eaten for sure. If you stay still, you have a chance of watching something majestic, but we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Uh, right. Jurassic Park 2 was not necessarily the most successful film, but there were still cool dinosaurs in it. I'm hoping Alan Robinson can be one of them. Uh, if he's not by week... <laughs> If he's not by Jurassic Park 3, get him out of your team. So it's it's really funny. How long do you want to keep this guy around for before he actually hurts you? So like you said before, it's you don't want to be reliant on A-Rob, but I've got to give him a chance to see if there is improvement here to be had. I think the most shameful part of Tom Lee's um, – example is that he has seen jurassic park two and three i think that that's i think that's uh noticeably absolutely shameful and he's right we yeah, shouldn't I, necessarily overreact to alan robinson let's let's see what happens next but you've probably got one more movie you got one more episode to see what happens and then you can jump ship as fast <laughs> as possible uh, right okay jacob you got the waivers on lock Let's do three players that you're absolutely locked into and you're actually invested in. And no, Barry or B Dub eight eight three. It is not Marlon Mack. Definitely not Marlon Mack. Uh, <laughs> this is honestly one of the worst week ones for waivers that I can recall in recent memory. It feels like every year on on week one waivers, there's always been like a really obvious guy. That being said, I think sometimes the obvious like what in hindsight is the big waiver week one guy of the year isn't always the guy that we think that it's going to be at the time. Like last year, Elijah Mitchell was pretty clear, right? There's, there was of course like people that were skeptical of that, but that like very much hit us the mouth, but Cordell Patterson made it in some leagues, even to week two before people fully realized, you know, his potential when he was picked up in waiver after week one, it was like often for a dollar, um he was very much viewed as sort of a fringy uh, sure i'll add this guy but like cpat was we didn't really fully realize what was happening until a couple weeks down the line but people could have gotten in on the ground floor and so i think that the quote-unquote obvious guy this week is probably jeff wilson because you have elijah mitchell going on for two months uh jordan mason was active but did not see an offensive snap and Tyrion Davis Price was inactive. So, you know, uh, Jeff Wilson certainly is the guy who profiles uh, the, the bestest backfield going forward. My concern with Jeff Wilson is that, you know, when he's had useful games in the past, it's always been with Jimmy G or with Nick Mullins or some pocket quarterback. You know, this is just a, it's a tough 
tough running back role right now in San Francisco. Trey yeah. Lance, Brandon and I, you can Debo Samuel combined for 22 carries last week. That's more than 14 teams in the NFL ran total. Um, there's not a whole lot left for the running back position. You're competing with Lance and Debo in every goal line series. And so, and then you're competing with use check on passing downs. Yep. What we saw last year was that Elijah Mitchell's role when he was the lead running back was just better than anybody else who had the lead running back role. And I expect that that will probably continue. I think that Jeff Wilson's a totally fine start this week against Seattle um, because you're going to have a, a defense that continually gives up check downs to the running back position. That happened in week one, but it's been happening for years. Like as long as Pete Carroll has been there, they want to defend deep. They want to take away big plays. They'll let you check it down to the running backs, the tight ends. Oh yeah. Um, and so what we saw was Javante Williams last night. You know, we're going to see some sort of facsimile of that with Jeff Wilson or whoever else is playing running back for the Niners. My, my concern is just that Jeff Wilson is not as good as Elijah Mitchell. He basically needs the entire running back role to himself to establish RB2 value because of what other non-running backs are getting carry-wise in that backfield. And then you're also adding in the fact that what if TDP or Jordan Mason or Marlon Mack uh, shows something uh, at some point and starts taking away a little bit of that. So I, I'm a little out on Mason uh, uh, or on Wilson. Personally, I prefer TDP over Mason just by a smidge because I understand that he was inactive, but Mason was active. You know, they lose Mitchell. They had the entire time they could have used him. They didn't give him a single offensive snap. To me, that's pretty damning. Oh, um, special team. And I, think and I would probably, him. right. So he was, the, he was clearly active only for special teams purposes. So to me, it's like him and TDP are starting again at square one. Uh, and I'll, I'll just take the guy with the better draft capital between the two. But both of them are like guys I do for a dollar. If there's one guy I think that I'd be really interested in, um, beyond Warren, you know, he, he's a great stash. If Najee is to miss a week, um, I think Pierre Strong is really interesting because yes, we're going to talk go. more about we're going to talk more about the Ramondre thing later. Um, so I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but basically what we saw from the Pats backfield, you know, was that there wasn't a clear preferred pass option between Harris or, or Stevenson, and Ty Montgomery had that role. And it's not like you know, it's entirely possible based on what we saw that they just won't be expanding Harris or, or Stevenson's role into that. Um, there's worlds where they do, but in the world where they don't, Pierre Strong, you know, could be a really interesting target. And he has, of course, a much better rushing profile than Ty Montgomery, such that if he's able to get into the mix as a pass catcher, you know, maybe his role just starts to creep and expand. So he interests me a lot. Yeah, and there's there's one for me. I think all of those picks are good, but I got to give a shout out to a player that I was touting in the Full Tilt Discord. If you were there, uh, you would have seen it. Uh, Greg Dortch has earned he earned snaps in the preseason. They have no receivers on that team outside of Hollywood Brown and the man got targeted. He earned it. And a couple of, he saved uh, a potential INT with a diving he tried to catch the damn ball, but it ended up being a diving knockaway. He's just he's not big. He doesn't do anything necessarily great. Nine targets, he hauled in seven of them uh, for 63 yards and this offense is going to struggle if, if Hollywood Brown continues to end Ertz was active. So he earned his targets. The targets have to go somewhere. Uh, AJ green is definitely dusty. I think Dorch is definitely worth a stash on your rosters. He's going to be a little bit more pricey, but he's someone I'm watching. Maybe not for long-term success, but short-term, if you're really hurting, he's definitely someone I would pick up in stash. If he keeps earning targets, he's going to be worth it. 
Um, Trav, how strong are you going after Pierre? Nice wordplay there. Uh, Jacob? Um, not that strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'd say, I'd say I'd make like a Pierre Week bid. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I love yeah, a, a, a couple percent, couple percent, couple percent. A Pierre Week bid. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Kickers, wordplay. This is just, this is a whole different level of vibes on the program. Look, we're going to take a minute. When we come right back, we are going to get into kind of the, the meat of the episode. We're going to do, uh, oh my gosh. I can't, I can't read. We're going to do our player picks. Uh, I can't wait to do that. Last week, uh, we all got absolutely dog walked by Jacob. So it'll be interesting to see what the player picks are this week. And then we're going to get into some what stuck out to us and why. And then we are going to go difficult matchups and starts uh, for your rosters in week two. Keep sitting tight with us, man. We, we are loving this uh, that everyone is out here joining with us. I'm kind of a rapper. Oh, my God, Trev. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. Sit tight. Oh, my gosh. The appeal for me with the flex is that there's so many options that are decent value here. Um, I couldn't pick one. Uh, I will go with one eventually. But Juju, Ceh, uh, AJ Green, and MVS are the guys who I think are outside the top 24 and all their all their uh, positions for most people's ranks this week. Um, for me, Ceh is probably the most interesting because, like, again, we're not in on Ceh, but how much opportunity do you need? It's week one. If there's going to be a time where something you know, goes a little Alan Robinson-esque one of the two ways. This could be that week. So for me, if he's sitting there, why not take the pun on what could be something pretty good? As Tom Lee said, if you took the shot, uh, it definitely paid off for you. So we love that. Uh, shout out Tom Lee. That was a good call. Look, last week, Jacob, you couldn't have nailed this any better, in my opinion. Um, Mariota, CEH, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Albert O was your lineup. You scored a whopping 70.9 fantasy points with the, those five players. You, you dog walked us here. I had Baker, Mike Davis. Thanks, Kenyon Drake. Jerry Judy and Gerald Everett. I scored a whopping 53.7 points. And Big Billy had a rough go with Matt Ryan, Darrell. Oh, my God. No, Big Billy. Uh, he ended up having Matt Ryan, Chase Edmonds, Gabe Davis, and Mr. One Point himself, David Njoku, uh, was not great for Billy at 46.28. Billy's not here, but I have his picks. I'm going to let Jacob go first, and then uh, I'll do mine, and then we'll we'll give out Billy. So, Jacob, please enthrall us. All right. Well, everybody, listen in. You know, if, just keep in mind You're that close. the master is speaking, right? Oh, the my God. A big lead after oh week one. God. You know, it's life's good right now. All right. At quarterback, we're going with Matt Ryan. Uh, mm. The Colts, you know, they came out. They, they established it pretty hard in the first half. Not going to lie. Uh, but then established. Uh, but then they fell behind, you know, and they ended up having to really make up a lot of ground through the air. I, I think that they're going to have a lot of success through the air in this game. We just saw what former Colts quarterback Carson Wentz did against his Jacksonville secondary. He was the QB one on the entire week, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> that just <laughs> happened. Um, you know, he clearly did not have many issues. I, I think that the Colts 
uh, will probably lean into the run at times in this game, but I think that they're going to score a lot of points in this matchup. Uh, Jacksonville clearly has a long ways to go in their defense. I think that the pathway to getting a three touchdown performance on a Matt Ryan is pretty clear. He seems like a high floor option with a bit of a ceiling if he's able to hit on efficiency like we just saw with Carson Wentz. Um, at the running back position, I was shocked when I saw this guy was outside the top 24 because he ran the second most routes of any running back or second highest route percentage of any running back in the NFL in the first week of this season and saw 82% of his backfield snaps. It's Darrell Henderson. Darrell Henderson Jr. gets the Atlanta Falcons in a really strong matchup. Uh, you know, we'll see how much Cam Akers is involved. I expect probably more than last week. But it would surprise me at this point if it just immediately goes back to being Akers' backfield or even a 50-50 split. I think Henderson, yep. at least until it shows that he's not, is the lead back that we want to play in the Los Angeles Rams backfield. Um, I'm trying to remember these offhand now, which is a little bit unfortunate. Um, but at wide receiver, you're staring at the sheet. Who did I pick at wide receiver? You have Julio Jones. I have Julio Jones at wide receiver. Why? Because Chris Calvin's out. Marshawn Lattimore is Mike Evans's freaking father. Um, and so you always <laughs> want to play the non-Mike Evans receiver against New Orleans. This is like one of five narratives that I, I believe in in the NFL. Play T.Y. Hilton against the Texans and, and don't play Mike Evans against Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, it's just too reliable not to trust <laughs> at this point. Um, and then bringing back for my Matt Ryan stack at the tight end position uh, because – I just continue to want to bring pain into my life. I'm going with Evan Ingram. He ran 80% oh, of the routes man. last week. It was a very pedestrian performance for Ingram. But hey, 80% of the routes. He's out there. He's running routes. Uh, probably still no Darius Leonard this week. We saw that the Texans were able to have two touchdowns against the Colts from the tight end position. Maybe Evan Ingram's able to find the end zone this week. I, I like that matchup. I love that you're bringing back your old pal, uh, Evan Drop Ingram. Uh, I hope it works out for him. I really do. Look, it's pretty simple for me. I'm going uh, Mr. Former Indianapolis Colt himself, Mr. Four Touchdowns, Carson Wentz. Um, look, the new Red Rifle has a good matchup against Detroit. Obviously, they scored a lot of points. Their offense is capable now, which we absolutely love to see, which means Wentz is going to have to also deal. I think he looked fine. I'm willing to take a shot on him uh, this week. I need to make up some points, so I need some big swings. Running back, Mr. Touchdown Efficient himself, Kareem Hunt. Uh, he is the RB, oh my gosh, RB21. According, to, Remember, this is Fantasy Pros uh, PPR. This is what we're going by. This is what we've always gone by, so we're sticking with it. Uh, he has the matchup against the New York Jets, and if they are going to continue to just absolutely hammer the run, I like Kareem Hunt and I like Nick Chubb. Couldn't pick Nick Chubb, so we're going with Kareem Hunt. Uh, I in, in hunt, we trust my wide receiver. I'm going to talk about him later, but it's Christian Kirk. Uh, I am taking Christian Kirk this week. I think he did more than enough to earn our trust. I think that a lot of people were significantly too low on Christian Kirk and his matchup against Jacobs, Indianapolis Colts, as I'm going to mention later is a lot more juicy than you think out of the slot and at tight end. I can't believe I'm going to, I'm going to bring some light to this man here. Uh, we make fun of him continuously because he's a terrible human, but I am taking elite target oh, earner, boy. hate crime, Tyler oh. Higby as my tight end. Uh, again, elite target earner and elite jackass. That is hate crime, 
Higby is my tight end pick this week. So at least maybe he can uh, get in them at least a little bit of my good graces uh, with a touchdown. Uh, oh yeah. Ferris is booing me. I know, I know, I know. I'm Big sorry, boo. but look, boo. I got to come boo. back and beat Jacob here. I'm 20 points down. All right. Give me a break. Tyler really? Higby is a David Montgomery of tight ends. Really? Billy is not. Okay. I have made, I have made worse calls here. Ferris trust. Um, big Billy is not here, but I will read off his again. He scored 46.28 points last week. He is going with Tua, which I, I, I don't like that matchup at all. Then we got RB. <laughs> we got Michael Carter, RV 36. He's going back to the well with Brandon Ayuk, and then he's locked in Irv Smith Jr. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, I got to say, I don't like his lineup uh, too much this week. So I think he's going to be 1v1, you versus me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. I love this game. I love it so much. I love that we've changed the rules. It's going to be so much better. Next up, we have players that stuck out to us and why they stuck out. This is just a little bit more stats have come out a little bit more we didn't really get a chance to do this last year so this is a little bit of perspective jacob i know you wrote an extensive week one kind of thought process so i know you have some good ones in there give me a player that stuck out to you and why and there was a few but i think the story of the week to me at least was the story of the off season which was these superstar wide receivers changing teams and sort of how they would look in week one, whether it was the wide receivers, whether it was the quarterbacks, etc. And I mean, oh my gosh, were they ever impressive? Uh, there were only, I believe seven wide receivers who had over 35% target share in week one. That included all three of the big high price trade um, options, which were Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill and AJ Brown truly dominant performances. Uh, AJ Brown had a air yard share of 70%. His target share was 44%. His Whopper, which as I mentioned in my week one thoughts in the full tilt of Bulletproof discords is a stat, not his penis, but his Whopper was (laughs) 1.15. That is, is just positively massive, massive. That's a foot by the way. And and 1.5 inches. If you're, if you're doing the penis version of the stat, uh, the human tripod, AJ Brown. Anyway, uh, Devonte Adams also just came out, laid one down on the, on the Los Angeles chargers all over the field, getting end zone work, getting deep work, etc. And Tyree kill quieter game, just based on this, <laughs> the Patriots had zero fight whatsoever. But he was getting all sorts of work in the intermediate and the short areas, deep areas. Uh, you know, these guys are clearly three of the best in the world. And, and you know, they, they might be on, well on their way to all three of them potentially being challenging for the top five wide receiver slots this year. 100 percent um killed tom with the with the dick chokes there i I had to i had to to i was drinking when he said it i couldn't get it down it was i even reading that comment i laughed out loud i gave a legitimate lull uh at the workplace it was phenomenal look one player that stuck out to me i mentioned before was christian kirk uh we all made fun of him for the the jaguars for signing him to that money we probably should still still make fun of him However, I think it fits what he wants to do. Here are a few reasons why. Christian Kirk ended up with a 31% target share. He didn't. He ended up with 12 targets. He only caught six of them, so not super efficient. But 
What is important to me is that he had 84% of his snaps out of the slot. His, he had a, oh my God, he had a target per route run uh, greater than Michael Pittman Jr. and CD Land this week. He had a 9.8 yards per target. He and he still ended up scoring 17.7 fantasy points, which we obviously love, especially the ADP being so low. He did that without scoring a touchdown. That was phenomenal. His ADP was wide receiver 47 and a half, according to uh, Dynasty League Football. In 2022, the one thing we know is that the Jags are going to throw a lot. He's going to get a lot of opportunity. Lawrence loves targeting his slot wide receivers. It's very high rate. He threw 242 of his 602 passing attempts to the slot. Obviously, hyper-targeting Kirk in week one. I don't see this slowing down. His cost, cheap. You can probably still acquire him fairly cheap. I don't know how good this offense is going to be. If you followed me on Twitter over the weekend, apparently people don't like when you mentioned that Trevor Lawrence loves yeeting INTs downfield, but he's going to throw the ball. He's going to have opportunity. He loves throwing to the slot. Hell, that's where Laquan Treadwell made his money last year towards the end of the year. He was phenomenal. Apparently the only player that doesn't succeed in that role is LaVisca Chenault. (laughs) So I, I like Christian Kirk, who's explosive. Like I said, he turned over, 100 and, over 110 yards on six receptions and 12 targets. I love Christian Kirk. He really stood out to me this weekend, for sure. Do you have anyone else there, Jacob? Who's next? I got a couple. Um, For me this week, another guy that I thought I just have to talk about, uh, James Robinson. I mean, yes. holy, I've, I've certainly made some jokes at James Robinson's expense on this show. And I just want to be the first person, like, coming off the Achilles. I mean, that was one of the most impressive things. We've seen wide receivers do it. Shout out Sterling Shepard, who also yes. had a really impressive week one on an Achilles injury. But we have seen it with wide receivers before, from Steve Smith, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas. Uh, but, you know, this running back Achilles bugaboo, I certainly don't think, like, from a dynasty perspective, that he's like fully out of the woods yet, or that, you know, he's going to now just never get re-injured or anything like that. But... Man, he looked so, so impressive. It was impressive that he was even on the field. It was impressive that he played as much as he did. The fact yes. that he had that much burst, he's able to get in the end zone twice. Really a storybook performance from James Robinson. And I think no matter like where you're at on Etienne or Robinson or anybody in Dynasty, that's just a really, really incredible thing to see someone overcome that level of adversity, clearly be that committed to their craft. And it's really, really heartening to see that a really solid player who was undrafted, who had to develop a career for himself, you know, at the very least, it, it looks like he's going to be able to play um, really effective running back uh, this year. And hopefully he'll be able to earn himself either a really strong second contract with the Jaguars or any other organization. At the very least, he could be due for the performance enhancer next year, which is $2.43 million. Um, you know, that's life-changing money for, for James Robinson. And he should be absolutely applauded for everything that he was able to do, getting back on the field and then looking how good uh, he did. It, really, really impressive. He has overcome being undrafted. He has overcome uh, a first-round draft pick at the same position, and now it looks like he's on his way to overcoming an Achilles injury early. And, man, that's it's just unbelievable. You absolutely love that form. I just want to go back to Christian Kirk. I did forget the one note that I did have. The reason I love him so much for to pick him for my players this week is his matchup. Jacob, you know your Indianapolis Colts better than most. So you know that Kenny Moore, the second, uh, absolutely awful 
when it comes to his grade in the slot. He is the 90th graded corner out of the 95. Christian Kirk ended up with a 79.1, ninth best at the receiver position in the slot. So I am definitely attacking that matchup. That's one of the reasons I had that. I had to use it. It was in my tool pouch. Next player for me that really stood out to me is Antonio Gibson. I, on this show, am known as the Antonio Gibson hater. I have always been lower on him than my brethren on this program. However, the things that stood out to me are not maybe what other people are seeing that has stood out. Obviously, we love his opportunity share. He was 12th before Monday Night Football. I obviously did this before Monday Night Football and did not recalculate the math, so that's the best you're going to get. He was tied for third in targets before Javante Williams ended up with more that uh, more receptions than Devontae Adams. But I am cautiously uh, pessimistic about J.D. McKissick staying that limited in the passing game. I thought that, that uh, the percentages there were definitely a little bit off. The nice, What I'd like to see is the design play down the right sideline on the play action. I thought that was phenomenal. It looked like something out of Madden. It was very creative, very fantastic. He graded out, obviously, as 85.6 on PFF as a receiver. We expect that out of Gibson. But, Jacob, one of the reasons people were so concerned about Brian Robinson was his ability to protect in pass protection. Antonio Gibson graded above 78 in pass protection in week one. That will keep him on the field, and that is most likely what kept J.D. McKissick off the field. If you don't have to take out your stud running back, your stud running back stays in in pass protection. Now, if that number can continue to kind of flatline out, Antonio Gibson might actually have been worth – he started falling into the eighth and ninth round in dynasty drafts right towards the end – of August. It was as people might've gotten a bargain. Again, I'm a little pessimistic, but it really did stand out to me. I've got a couple more. If you have, I got just one more, uh, that awesome. I wanted to Let's get hear into. It. Uh, Pat Fryermuth was one that yes. stuck out to me. Uh, Pat Fryermuth had 10 targets, six catches, 75 yards. Um, you know, more importantly, he had more targets than chase Claypool and George Pickens combined. In this game, oh wow! Um, I still have some concerns about Fryermuth's true ceiling from the perspective that he's just pretty limited athletically. I think he's always profiled more as like a Zach Ertz sort of maximum ceiling case than the true Travis Kelsey, George Kittle type, um, you know, elite ceiling. And Zach Ertz needed a pretty unique set of circumstances to have an elite fantasy ceiling. I think most times that type of career path looks more like a Hunter Henry. That being said, rookie tight ends just aren't really ever good. And it was right. really interesting how Friar Muth was good as a rookie. And then nobody really cared. Like he was going outside the top 10 rounds in best yeah. ball and redraft. He's going around Cole Komet. Um, you know, he was a better prospect then. It was had a way more impressive rookie season then. He's going behind guys like Dawson Knox and Zach Ertz. Uh, and it never made a whole ton of sense to me. And and that's coming from someone who wasn't, you know, particularly wowed by Friar Muth as a prospect. I, I honestly thought because he scored so many dumb touchdowns. Um, without really the usage to support it, I thought I'd probably be too. I probably, thought I'd probably be pretty low on him going into the off season, uh, but luckily that wasn't the case, and he looked phenomenal um, yesterday. He was getting work even down the field a little bit. Um, I think that there's every possibility that he could be at least this year the number two target on the Steelers. I, I think there's certainly a lot of competition for that role. I, I think that Claypool had some good signs in his deployment in Week One. George Pickens is going to be heard from by the end of the season, that's for sure. But I think that Friar moves to me 
I'm not super sure why he shouldn't be valued above guys like TJ Hawkinson in Dynasty, for uh, for instance, just based on the fact that he was a really impressive rookie prospect. He shows a phenomenal week two start. I don't know that there's necessarily any other of these tight ends, like a Schultz or Hawkinson, even a Goddard, who I, I think is a different class of talent that profile to earn a whole lot more targets than Firemuth. And when you add in the H, you add in, you know, that kind of upside profile that he's building for himself. I think he's a pretty interesting dynasty buy. I'll admit I took a huge, I remember a big argument on the Twitter streets. Uh, you and I were involved in, I know uh, FT underscore Maddie, who does a lot of our Twitter work uh, and research. He was involved in it as well. It even went as far to enter our league chats and some group chats. I will happily accept that I am taking the L on fading Pat Farmuth. At this point, I am wrong. Look, you're only as you're only as good as your ability to admit when you are incorrect. I am incorrect on Pat Fryermuth. Uh the last players I really want to talk about are Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Uh these two guys did something that I don't think anybody expected. They had 19 total targets against the Ravens in week one. Obviously not something we expect to continue. Zach Wilson, not a real dump it down guy. Joe Flacco, he's the vet. He's the GOAT, Super Bowl MVP. He knows what it takes. Is getting the ball into the hands of good running backs. However, it was Carter was an easy play for me. I played him in every lineup that I absolutely could fit him into. He was phenomenal. But I remember you mentioning you weren't quite sure what to do with Hall because you weren't quite sure what to expect. Well, I don't think anyone expected him to be the only running back that hit 10 targets before Monday night football. And we obviously don't expect Joe Flacco to drop back 62 times. It was the second most in the league. It's not going to happen too often. And we're cautious, cautiously optimistic with Zach Wilson coming back. But if there are any questions about Brees Hall and their willingness to use him in the passing game as a rookie, I think that can be yeeted out the window. Yeah, absolutely. We had we had a converse, we had a conversation on Twitter uh, with uh, one of our followers about how they were they'd be happy to sell Brees Hall right now for a twenty three first round pick. I don't know what else you could possibly want from Brees Hall. His profile was great. We talked about it at length. He was the consensus one on one in this draft, and the pass catching ability was on display. Did he do a whole lot with those targets? No. But if targets are earned, Brees Hall earned all 10 of those targets. Last player, I just want to squeeze him in here. He is my second most rostered player in Dynasty, Kylan Granson. There's a bit of a discrepancy on whether he had six targets or or seven targets. PFF had him at six. Either way, it would have put him in a tie, no matter what site you used, First, second on the team in targets, and he did his damage between zero and nine yards. That is where these possession PPR tight end premium tight ends are going to do their dump off damage. We love it. Hopefully he can convert that. Mo Alley Cox is not the answer. Kylan Granson should not be on your waiver wire. I can't believe I finally got to say that on a show and have it actually be actionable, but I got to. It is Granson season. Um, I don't care if I'm being over the top about it. Jacob, that was phenomenal. I actually absolutely love that. Look, everyone, you should be actively trying to put some of these guys in your lineup. Let us know how it works out for you. We're going to take one more quick second. We come back. This is going to be a very quick one, Jacob. All right. This isn't a minute long. I'm giving you the heads up this time. And we come back, we're going to get into difficult lineup decisions. 
Last week we had a couple. This week we got even more because with more data means more questions uh, than there are answers nine times out of ten. So sit tight when we come back. Difficult lineup decisions for week two. Enjoy. Look, if you're new to the show and you're not familiar with this segment, there's always some difficult decisions at the end of your flex spots where you're going to put some guys, maybe your super flex decision last week. I wasn't totally sure how confident I could be in Daniel Jones. He did all right. 16 uh, fantasy points and four point passing touchdown leagues. That's not bad. That is acceptable at least for your QB two. this week. Jacob, there's a player that I am just absolutely not sure what to do. Um, we both thought it? Damian Pierce was a fade at his rookie, well, how high he was starting to go in rookie drafts, but I don't think anybody expected flex Burkhead to tie for fourth in snaps at running back before Monday night football. He had eight targets. He caught five of them. Uh, I don't know if I can trust flex Burkhead against Denver this week, but when it comes to maybe some zero RB uh, situations, maybe you guys with like, uh, if you're re- already relying on Elijah Mitchell, do you just pop in Rex Burkhead expecting him to maintain this level of production? Like when does Pierce, if at all, really get into the game? I'm not sure what to do with Flex Burkhead. I'm pretty sure I want to put him in. How are you feeling on him? And, and where are you going with this running back situation? Well, it's like you just draft a bunch of shitty running backs. You know, it's a Just oh, I'll play them. <laughs> no, I I agree. It just, it just... I, I'm playing them. Uh, no, I, I think that. So for anyone who caught uh, this week's Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Backs, clearly Tom did not because we're starting Flex Burkhead, baby. He's he's one of the three guys that we're starting. Um, my note on Burkhead there was. I'm also going to partially steal some of this from uh, the great Ben Gretsch's stealing signals, but I think that his role is probably a little bit overstated uh, in that Pierce started the game. He was holding most of the early down work, especially in the first half. It just sort of so happened that the drive that Burkhead got as the primary rusher, in addition to all the pass work he was getting was their longest drive of the game that skewed some of the numbers in the first half. Why they continue to go with Burkhead more in the second half, I'm not really sure. Lovey Smith gave this weird answer about Burkhead being better in passing situations, and they were in passing situations. They were up by 17 points in the fourth quarter, so I don't really know what he's talking about, about them being in passing situations. But Lovey Smith is also a person who actively played for the punt in his first game as yeah. the head coach of the Houston Texans, or played for the tie by punting. Like, just an unrelenting coward of a human being. Um, and so I don't take anything that he says seriously. Um, I think that the one thing we can count on is that regardless of the early down split, Rex Burkhead is going to play every single passing situation. And we should expect that at least until proven otherwise. And we should have some level of expectation that the early downs is going to be a split until proven otherwise. They're playing against the Broncos, who I understand laid a total lag against Seattle. That was a weird game. The Broncos fumbled twice at the one yard line. Um, they had to settle for three different field goals. I think if you play that same game out, you know, 10 times, the Broncos probably win at nine out of 10 by not continually fumbling at the one yard line. And I expect that they're going to be in control against Houston and that they are going to be in those passing situations. And what we saw was that when they're in those situations, Burkhead plays all the snaps and he gets a lot of targets. So I I would be starting Burkhead with 
a relative degree of confidence. And I would start him over the guy that I'm about to talk to, to talk about. Right. And, and I like that too. And it's one of those situations, veteran coach wants the veteran back to spell the rookie. I think it was a little bit insane. Even, even I took the over on, on the 12 and a half for carries for Damian Pierce. And then afterwards it brought to my attention. He's never really had 13, 14 touches in a game, even all through college. It was kind of uh Interesting how how it was expected that all of a sudden he was just going to do this in the first game in a difficult matchup. So interesting. At least Dave, we know Davis Mills can check it down and wants to check it down. So we're happy with Mills. I'm playing Flex Burkhead. You fully convinced me before I read your article. Why don't you hit me with a player that you're not totally sure what to do with? Yeah, Ramondre Stevenson, it's a roller coaster ride. It's literally been a roller coaster ride for me because I, I had the unfortunate duty um, <laughs> of, you know, practically eulogizing uh, Ramondre Stevenson after after his week one performance. And I'll get into that. Basically, what happened was he ran five fucking routes. Um, so, you know, all off season, we heard, you know, all about everything that's going to happen in the passing game involvement. Ty Montgomery was a surprise active to me. I, I did not think that he was going to play um, going into Sunday morning, just based on the injury that he had. And I don't even know when he re-aggravated the ankle injury, but clearly he got IR immediately. Right. So very strange. Anyhow, um, you know, he was active. He played all the long down and distance. That honestly didn't particularly surprise me. Uh, what was more surprising, however, for sure was that Damian Harris saw 10 pass routes from Andre Stevenson saw five pass routes. Um, I think that, you know, it's a really small sample. It's like 15 pass routes. If they were rotating drives, you know, one person's on the field for a drive, they have a little more success. They call more pass plays. You switch that. It's like eight to seven. So I don't think this is necessarily an expectation that Damian Harris is going to run twice as many pass routes from Andre Stevenson. But it does show at least that there wasn't any intentionality about using Ramondre Stevenson more in passing situations than there was uh, Damian Harris in week one. And that concerned me. I, I wrote, um, unfortunately for, for uh, Ty Montgomery, I wrote quite presciently, um, Ramondre Stevenson remained involved and touched the ball at 71% of the snaps, so perhaps better days are ahead. However, it is a legitimate downgrade. His expected range of outcomes is between a standalone RB2 at best and at worst, a flex play with two-way contingent upside to an every-week starting role. It's now much less clear what extent his upside contingent upon a Montgomery injury is present or could be realized. Now, of course, we get the Montgomery injury that eight days ago I would have said, oh my God, it's Ramondre RB1 season. Now I think what we're left with is he still has the profile, the reasons why I believed um, you know, that he could take on that role two weeks ago, they'll still exist within his profile, but there was nothing from the week one usage that necessarily suggests that it would be anything but a split between him and Damian Harris on that role, or, or even that Harris couldn't take on the majority of it, or potentially that they just keep those two in their exact roles and they bring in Pierre strong. Um, I will read this out from the articles, a teaser, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, Occasionally the first path we seek does not lead us where we wish to go, but fortunately <laughs> life's knack for deferring the clearest path does not always preclude it from finding a way. Often we as fantasy gamers attempt to decipher the game as though it were a pre-crafted plot with discoverable endings hinted at the first chapter. But in fact, the game is much more fluid. A coach's first inclinations is not always their lasting one, just as our first is not always the correct one. Stevenson's week one signal was incredibly negative, but I'm cautiously optimistic he's well-suited to take advantage of the newfound opportunity available. All in all to say, he's going to be on my bench this week, but high hopes for week two. <laughs> I, yeah, that's phenomenal. But 
even in his five routes, uh, you know, they weren't really routes that we want to be hyped up on really his two receptions came from behind the line of scrimmage and he didn't really do much with them so i think you're right i think if we don't see it this week when there's clearly an opportunity i think that the Ramondre season that we are all hoping and hyping uh it it might be out to pasture i don't know it's going to be really tough for him to recover like he's not like dead from like a drop perspective because if the nightmare scenario hits and it's like either Harris gets most of that pass work or it's 50 yeah. 50 or if it's watch well, if it, so I think like for ranking scenarios, best case scenario for Ramondre or for Harris, the same would apply to him. Best case scenario for one of them is that like one of them gets the vast majority of the Montgomery role and then they keep the share that they had of the early downs. So you get like a 50, 50 split on early downs between the two of them. Like we had last week. And then you get Stevenson getting 80% of the password or Harris getting 80% of the password. The second best scenario would be that they don't add a third back. They go 50, 50 down the middle in all situations that makes both of them weekly plays. And it gives the other a ton of contingent upside. If either one of them is, ends up getting hurt. And then, You know, the bad situation is like they bring in Pierre Strong or JJ Taylor or I don't know, they sign whatever bum off the street, you, um, Tom Lee, uh, Billy, you know, someone to come in. I have experience. Call me New England. Um, Let's go. Uh, you know, and then and then what you're left with is like you don't drop them, but then they're just on the bench because then you only have one way contingent upside where they're both competing for these early down touches. If one gets hurt, the other gets all the early down touches, which we saw last year. Like when one of Stevenson or Harris were out, the other smashed. So that still has yeah. value, but like it has no standalone value. It, it becomes like almost entirely a contingent play at that point. Right. He he's really started to feel like he was. Everyone's like, this is his breakout top twenty season incoming. Regardless of Harris, Harris doesn't matter. And then once again, New England went, yeah, he does. I want to talk about one more player before we get on because there's two more things I want to get to. I want to get to prop bets. I want to talk about Thursday just a little bit. So I want to talk about one more player. I'm not going to do both, but let's talk about Robbie Anderson because he's once again a thorn in the side of all DJ Moore fans, managers. But, hey, look, he led the team in targets per route run. He ran 100% of the routes. He had a 10-yard A dot. 32% 32% target share. What was really interesting to me is he had 33% of the targets on third and fourth down. This is of course, um, according to the utilization report, which we absolutely love. Um, so shout out to them, but Robbie Anderson, you said you were, I saw you say that you were comfortable playing him as a flex. He is an experienced target earner. Are we back to say like New York Jets esque Robbie Anderson, where you're putting him in there and you're hoping for the long one like he had this week? He's earning targets. Do you think he's actually a week in, week out, flex worthy play? How are you looking at him? How are you approaching him? I mean, I think what he is is he's like last year Robbie Anderson, but just without the mind numbingly bad efficiency. Like his okay. first year in Carolina, he was a really good play. Like he was an every week wide receiver too. I think he had like a 26% target share or something. And then last year, he basically swapped with DJ Moore. And so he he definitely regressed from that. I think he was down around a 20% target share. But he was still at a 20% target share. Like, purely from a volume perspective last year, he wasn't bad. It's just that he was by a mile the least efficient receiver in the NFL. And I think some of that is on him. Some of that was on, you know, the, the carousel of ridiculous quarterback play they had. <laughs> so I think if he can right. just regress his efficiency back to, like, 
not even like good, but just like normal NFL receiver levels, um, you know, then he has a 20% target share guy. Like, you know, we probably wouldn't be that different than like what Jarvis Landry was in, in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, um, which is, you know, he's not a league win or anything, but you can start him in your wide receiver four slot. He's probably going to get six, seven targets every week. So I, I wouldn't feel bad about that. I think all the Panthers, quite frankly, um, are, are buys. I mean, the Panthers, uh, I've seen conflicting reports on their pass rate over expectations. Some models have them really high. Some of them really low. It's probably just because of a small sample. Um, but right. they were they were running offensive an okay clip. The Browns are always a torture chamber because they're a pretty good defense. And then their offense, all they want to do is run and play as slow as possible. So you often yeah. see a lot of like low plays run. And Carolina ran 50 plays. By comparison, Cincinnati ran 100. Um, like Cincinnati literally played twice as many games as the Bengals this week. Colts ran oh 90. God. They played almost twice as many games um, as the Panthers this week. So I think if you're, I think you'd be honest about Robbie. And, and I think with CMC and DJ Moore, you know, things are not quite as bad as they seemed in week one. Um, I, I expect they're going to have more success this week. Yeah, I agree. And Baker didn't look too bad. I mean, the throw was good. It's hard to get, any good passing when you have Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney just breathing down your necks. And K, uh, OK was just, I don't know how to enunciate his name correctly, but I'm just going to go with the acronym OK. He's a phenomenal linebacker and an absolute draft steal. So we got to give him a shout out for that. All right. Those are tough lineup decisions. Feel comfortable playing those players we talked about, except for Ramondre Stevenson. If you do play him, please play him with low expectations because. No one has any idea what is going to happen on a team whose quarterback is having back spasms now and has Matt Patricia not only getting a promotion, but he's calling the plays. It's not great. It's not great at Why all. We come back. Oh. People considering a Ramondre Stevenson start. Like for your mental health, just <laughs> just leave him on the bench because it's a win-win scenario. Like if you leave him on the bench and he gets the entire role that you were hoping, and he smashes, like, you're thrilled that you just get to start him next week, and you're really happy. Um, and if you leave him on the bench, and he plays the same shitty roles last week, and he does nothing, then you're happy that you benched him. Either way, you're happy. If you start him, you're happy in one of two scenarios. If you bench him, you're happy in both scenarios. And ultimately, I care about your happiness. Yeah, and we do, too. We want you to be around to tilt with us. Uh, but tilt, you know, happily as much as possible we're gonna take another quick second we come back we're gonna do underdog pickums and then we're just gonna briefly talk about thursday and get you out of here for the rest of your tuesday night so sit tight another short break here jacob just a little heads up They, like I said a little short break look if you're unfamiliar with underdog i mean what what are we out here doing? Um, this show is obviously presented by Underdog, but let's talk about Pick'em. I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your sports watching sessions. Pick'em is a phenomenal new newer game from Underdog Fantasy. Just pick over under on your favorite or least favorite player stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it real simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. All you have to do, pick between two and five players, and you can take home some cold, hard cash. And guess what? If you haven't played yet and you want to play and you want to enter the picks that we're about to go through, all you have to do, it's real easy, Sign up with promo code Full Tilt. They will deposit match you up to $100. That is a lot of pick of money. You can easily walk away with double that just in one night. 
We obviously encourage you to play responsibly. Again, use promo code FULLTILT if you're new to Underdog Fantasy. And don't worry, next year you'll be able to get into all of the best ball craze that you might have missed out on this year. Underdog, promo code FULLTILT. Let's make some pick and picks because, look, I got to tell you, Jacob, I'm a little disappointed. We as a team, we did really well in those pick and picks, but it was only one person. That cost us the win, and his name was David Montgomery. So, look, if I know it was going to be a fucking monsoon, <laughs> I think I might have had a different pick. <laughs> hey, it was close for a while. I mean, it was easily way into the second yeah. half, and he still only had, had four the rushing yards. I think we would have had it by thirty. Unfortunately, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and look, with Billy not Dude, here, for betting against Montgomery's volume when I could have just bet against his efficiency. Always bet against David Always Montgomery's efficiency. Uh, look, know. Billy's not here. So Jacob and I, we're going to come up with the third one. We play three picks. So Jacob, let's get into that right now. Let's go. Who? What are your favorite underdog pick plays for this week? Well, I have two and they're correlated. Um, and oh. so if you're playing the Thursday, I think you could play both together. Uh, and I like Juju Smith-Schuster over 55 and a half receiving yards. And I like McCole Hardman under four even receptions. Uh, McCole Hardman played 63% of the routes in week one. And I would say that that's probably more likely to go down than up. He was fine. He scored a short touchdown. They missed him on a deep shot. Um, ended up with three catches for 18 yards and a touchdown. But uh, Sky Moore was really eased into action. He only ran seven routes, 19% in week one. I'm not positive that that goes up, but I would it's more likely to go up than down. He did make a really uh, impressive play on his one target in which he was able to get a catch with Mahomes scrambling. He worked well across the field to get the ball, picked up probably about 10 yards after the catch uh, beyond whatever would have been expected. Uh, really impressive play, the kind of play that you want to see out of a rookie, you know, where potentially he's able to get more snaps. What we did see is kind of what I thought we would see early in the season um, with their two wide receiver sets, which is that it's Juju and it's MVS pretty consistently. Um, you know, that, those are their best run blockers. Those are the two guys that are probably the most classic wide receivers of the group, especially as Sky Moore works into the offense. And so Hardman's role is left, um, you know, being a, a situational role. And I think that it's to, for him to get, to beat you on that four prop to get five catches, you know, that's on average, that's seven, eight targets, right? Um, that's quite a bit. He could certainly get there on, on occasion with stuff like these little shuffle passes and things that they give him, right. especially near the goal line. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he, he's an under and certainly if he is an under, you know, that correlates to other receivers getting more and Juju Smith Schuster had a really phenomenal role in week one, all nine of his week one targets or all eight, can't remember eight or nine, all of them, <laughs> Uh, whichever number came the first half of the game, which I think is, is crucial. We knew that he was battling some knee soreness coming into the game. They blew the doors off of Arizona and it seemed that they, you know, eased off on the breaks in the second half after they were able to get up 30 to seven. But when the offense, when the game was in question, uh, he was the clear focal point of the offense alongside Travis Kelsey of their passing game. I expect that to continue uh, in week two in a matchup with the chargers that, will seemingly go back and forth and back and forth. And notably, his dot was up over nine. So this is not the same, you know, low short area juju. He's getting intermediate targets. That's right where we want to see it for an alpha receiver. I think he's going to have a really strong season and he's going to have a really strong game. I absolutely like that. I mean, I hated – I, I talked with uh, 
Barry, a listener at, at work today. And I talked about how much I just absolutely hated how good Juju looked and how much I faded him. He looked great. Obviously the fumbles don't help, but look, we're not looking at that. All we care about is yardage and the over 100% is a good bet for me. Look, I'm, we talked about him earlier. I'm going with it. Michael Pittman Jr. with the over of 72 and a half receiving yards against the woeful Jacksonville Jaguars. I am taking that. I believe Michael Pittman Jr. is in line for another top five week this week. I think another eight catches, 120 plus yards and a score is doable. At minimum, I definitely think he can get 73 receiving yards considering even though Matt Ryan looked pretty bad. Uh, he definitely looked pretty good when targeting Michael Pittman Jr., a true alpha receiver in the NFL. So I am taking Michael Pittman Jr. with the over against Jacksonville. Now we need to come up with two more. Man, I gotta give it to, I'll this. give this to Pittman. Like, I'm looking at the Colts' schedule right now. I don't think they play a good corner until November 20th. Yeah, man, his schedule looks like this is nice actually right wild. Now. They play the Jaguars, they play the Chiefs, they play the Titans, they play the Broncos, they play the Jaguars, they play the Titans, they play the Commanders, they play the Patriots, they play the Raiders. It's not until Darius Slay and the Eagles on November 20th that he has like a, a problem matchup. That's and remember, crazy. Kansas City just put first round corner Trent McDuffie on the IR. He is gone for at least four weeks, if I'm not mistaken. He is out. So you're right. He has nothing but juicy matchups coming up. Look, we're going to target the Raiders and Cardinals for our last couple of picks. We need two out of these uh, four here. The Cardinals generated literally zero pressure rate against Patrick Mahomes. Their defense is in shambles. Their secondary awful. And I think Carr, who throws the ball a lot every week, whether they're up or not, I think is going to do the same. So we have Derek Carr, 272 and a half for passing yardage. We have Josh Jacobs, 54 and a half for rushing yardage. I think we're going to avoid that one. Devontae Adams, 100 and a half receiving yards. I think that one's pretty easy. And Darren Waller, 51 and a half for receiving. Which ones do we want to attack here? I'm comfortable Darren Waller having 52 yards against Arizona, and I'm also comfortable Derek Carr passing for more than 272 and a half passing yards. I think we can punch yeah, like those both. confidently. I like all the Raiders overs, but those are probably the two I like best. I mean, we just saw Travis Kelsey go absolutely nuts against this Cardinal secondary. For like, for the sake of my brain. I almost pray that Waller doesn't go completely insane because if he does match what Kelsey just did, I can already see the next eight weeks of people being like the Cardinals have allowed X amount of points to tight ends this year. Um, after it was like, okay, got Kelsey and Waller the first two weeks. Um, and that, that will, you know, send me into a deep hibernation uh, from society. <laughs> but I, I do think Waller's going to probably have a really, a really incredible week. And, and I think we, I we just tend to see this anecdotal or whatever, but like whenever we see an offense, just like massively hyper target one player feels like it tends to balance a little bit more than next, whether that's them making a conscious effort to do it or the other team overreacting by taking away that player. Like I, I would be surprised if we don't see more Waller and Renfro this week in Vegas, more Smith and Goddard in Philly. Like the, you know, we just saw these egregiously high target shares for Adams and Brown in their first game. I think that probably evens at least a little. That's important to note. So let's go over. We made five picks. We're entering a $25 entry for a potential $500 
payout. You can play along as well. Remember, we're not responsible for the wins and losses, but remember, we're winning with you and losing with you if you're playing along with us. We're all in this together uh, so we can tilt our faces off. We're taking Juju Smith-Schuster with the over receiving yards, 55.5. We are taking the under on McCole Hardman's even four receptions. The over on Michael Pittman, 72.5 yards receiving. Derek Carr over 272.5 passing yards and the over at 51 and a half for Darren Waller in the receiving yards. That's our pick and plays. It's absolutely locked in. The submit button has been hit. It is confirmed. Remember play along with us, Jacob. I just want two thoughts on the Thursday night game. We haven't talked about it yet. I just need one or two thoughts. The implied point total 54 and a half. It's obviously expected to be a shootout, but it is a short week. What is it to you that's going to stand out? Is it is Clyde Edwards-Alaire get even more snaps and more opportunity if the game is close? Does Mike Williams get more than three or four targets? I don't know what the hell happened to him. Does Austin Eckler not disappoint this week like he did last week? There was a lot of disappointment in the Chargers uh, and a little bit of disappointment on the Chiefs side because they didn't have to go absolutely ham all four quarters. What is it that's sticking out for you this week? Thursday night football game. It's going to be all the Chargers pass game options where we're going to see what things look like without Keenan Allen, which I think is honestly really interesting because I want to try and see of these pieces, like who can play here, who has some latent contingent upside here, because this is going to be an awesome offense. Any offense that ties to Justin Herbert is going to be an awesome offense, but you're right. All these pieces were really underwhelming in week one. And I think even coming into the season, I thought they were a little bit underwhelming, quite frankly, behind Keenan Allen. And now, you know, dad's on home. The kids get Thursday night. <laughs> Let's see what's going to happen. Right. Let's see what you can do. Um, so I'm interested to see if Mike Williams can step up and be an alpha. I mean, oh. Josh Palmer opportunity of a lifetime. Right. I feel like this is one of those games where it's like, if Josh Palmer can come out, take advantage of the opportunity, run 90% of the routes, have like a 20% target share, it's like, oh, okay, that's what he is now. He's he's a guy who's going to run routes when uh, when everybody's healthy. But if either Keenan or Mike get hurt, then he's going to have you know a considerable amount of value uh, in fantasy. And, and then we know what to do with that. Or he's just going to run a bunch more wind sprints and get passed up by DeAndre Carter, right? That's also right. possible. Oh my um, God. Austin Eckler. He's had like a history of weird ass week ones. Now this is the third consecutive week one that he's just not been involved in the passing game. So I'm trying not to overreact because I felt like I've, I've overreacted to two years in a row of Eckler week ones, but right. Yeah. 30% routes. I mean, that's not going to get it done. Um, and then potentially more interesting is that he got the goal line work in this game, but third and one to win the game. They're up by five. They have the ball with a minute, 30 left, I believe. The Raiders have no timeout. So essentially, it's it's one play for the game. It's third and one. Sony Michelle gets the carry. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. He's just been with the team for a little over a week. Um, you know, that pretends that he's going to mix into that uh, high-value touch goal line situation at some point. There's not really much of a difference between a third and one for the game and, you know, third and one on the one. So uh, I want to see also the backfield, you know, Josh Kelly and Sony Michelle split the non eckler snaps evenly. Can Sony Michelle consolidate that? Uh, just a lot of usage stuff with the chargers that I find uh, really interesting after what was a really spread out week one. I agree. I think most of it does come down with the chargers. I think the chiefs are the chiefs. I, I mean, you're, you're plugging the studs. The one thing I want to see is if sky Moore can get more than seven routes. I understand he was the highest graded, uh, 
rookie, I think, wide receiver in week one, but he ran seven routes. Hey, the one catch he had, it was phenomenal. It was like 30 yards. Yeah. He looked he looked great. I want to see if he can get a little bit more. The MVS usage was frustrating. Uh, obviously, we know Hardman is going to be involved, it seems like. And, of course, Travis Kelsey's eaten no matter what. I mean, people thought it was going to go down week one. It's going up, it looks like. Well, so I'm interested to see what Kelsey does in in – uh, in this game, obviously, the Chargers defense is a lot better than Arizona. So we'll see if Derwin James shuts him down. I am expecting a little bit of a disappointing week from Travis Kelsey. It, some elite safety play. We'll see what happens with him. But I'm definitely I, – I just need to see more from Mike Williams. I finally bought in this year. I finally bought into Mike Williams this year, and he puts a four-target game on the board. He was He was eliminated. He was completely – wiped out and i think josh palmer is if josh palmer excels in this game he's already on his gabe davis trajectory in his career this like you know interesting middle round kind of drafted receiver who's big attached to a great offense with an aging out wide receiver one with a target share opportunity if he balls out when keenan's not there and mike williams doesn't it's shooting real high because last year palmer was already garnering hype and if he's the one that ends up shooting up in the targets and the production, again, I think it gave Davis trajectory for his careers along the way. I mean, he's Canadian. We love to see it, but it'll be very interesting to see uh, what happens. Newsflash, Mike Williams is who he thought is who we thought he was. I yeah, look, I know I finally bought it this year. That's my mistake. I'm wearing, I'm wearing the dummy cap uh, on that one. My, you know what? Blame Maddie. He finally talked me into it. Jacob, that's going to do it for the program. We got through it. We had a rough start with the camera. And I had the wrong graphic up when we came in. Uh, it was a two-man show today. Tons of information. Yeah. But and we the wrong camera pointed. The wrong camera. Oh, but my Funny God. story oh on that. So basically, literally what happened was, uh, so I had, I have, this is my old camera right here. You can see it. Um, and then, I got a new camera, which you can see. That's why I look love so, it. You look, so you look fantastic. You, you can you literally great. see the fucking zits on my face. Anyway, yep. um, so I got the new camera. All before show, it wouldn't work, wouldn't load up, whatever. And then I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm going to put the old camera back on. So I put the old camera back on. Then all of a sudden, I plug in the new camera, and it does work. I'm like, sick, I'll turn it on. What I didn't realize, of course, is that at this point, I still have the old camera on. My new camera is pointing <laughs> at the wall. And I'm like trying to stare for about two minutes. I'm like, why is an image of the wall? I'm like grabbing around and I'm like, oh, there's the other camera sitting there pointed <laughs> at the fucking wall. So then I go reattach, get the new camera. Anyway. Look, go. man, uh, tech setup and all that may not be the strong suit, but I'm glad you got, again, you're looking crisp. I you're remember looking that, clean. You were baited, bro. You were baited. You you will uh you'll look even better in your three-piece suit on uh on friday's <laughs> big tilt look jacob i know you you've talked about your article a little bit but let's get your final thoughts on today final thoughts on week two and uh let's let's pump that article up kid let's go yeah man fun week super fun week um you know this is a week you know historically where the types of trades that you can make after week one the types of waiver claims you can make after week one can occasionally set you up for a season of success almost as much or more than the draft can so you know be vigilant check in with your league mates um if i have like one piece of advice it would be that 
all these questions that I keep getting about trade questions is always like, would you send this for this? What would you send for this? What would you send for this? What would you send for this? Keep trade cut says I could do this for this. Um, I think that what if you talk to people? That, that's <laughs> my piece of advice. What if, what if we send someone a message, right? What if we think less? Like, I think that it's like my biggest pet peeve. I'm going to sound like a 90 year old man, <laughs> but I think that one thing we've tried to do is like treat dynasty more like a market, which I think is awesome when we're trying to think in terms of value, right? And we're saying, okay, this guy is, you know, approximately worth this guy in a second. Okay. I'd rather have that. Great. I think that's a great way to approach the game. I think the problem is sometimes we, we tend to think that, you know, if we can find a fair value trade that we like one side of that, then that's just the trade that gets done. And it's like, you know, but I send this for this. And oftentimes we just think in terms of picks, what I would do is look through your leagues, see who has an older team that lost this week. They're probably not loving life. Maybe they're thinking one of two things. Maybe one, they might want to sell off some of their veterans. Or two, they might want to make sure they get a win next week and buy some veterans. You know, send that person a message. Say, hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this guy? Whatever. Just talk it out. Maybe you'll be able to get an offer that you might not know is possible. Because I guarantee you that there's going to be trades that go down in your leagues that at some point are going to look really bad. Potentially, you're going to see it pop up on the screen. You're just going to see a trade has been completed. And you're like, why would you accept that? Well, I'm just going to say, go fire out some messages, talk to some people, see if you can catch somebody um, finding a mutually beneficial offer. And when you do try to structure trades, if there's a guy that you're buying, right? If you're thinking, I want to buy all this guy after week one, try to think first in terms of who has that guy in my league? What do they need? What do I have that could solve their needs? Um, if there's someone you want to sell, who could use what I'm trying to sell, right? And uh, do, it, do it the old fashioned way. Hey, man, I like that. Look, on the fantasy walkabout every Saturday, we always talk about knowing your league mates and communicating is the most important thing in fantasy football. It's what keeps you plugged in. We can look at spreadsheets and rankings, but the human element of fantasy football is real. It exists. It does not matter how frustrating it is. It is real. I love this show. Look, we have traditionally not been a heavy data program. Today we switched up. We tried a new thing. We're going to see if it pays out in our leagues this week. I absolutely love it. Look, week two Devi review is up. It is out. Go and check that out. Andy Starr did a phenomenal job laying down the Devi landscape after last weekend's doubt with football. And I got to tell you, Addison, man, he's looking like maybe the wide receiver one in that class. We're going to see. We're going to see what happens at the end of it. You can tune in Thursday to the Full Tilt Devi show. It'll be episode 100. And 58, and of course, the fantasy walkabout, getting you ready for Sunday, talking about more tough matchups, the news of the week. Not going to want to miss that. Absolutely great time. And uh, midweek tilt should be starting as of next week. Myself and John Arrington coming back to battle about the things that's driving us crazy online. I can't wait for that. The takes are going to be off the wall and insane. Uh, and there's nothing more I like than irritating uh, John at, at Dynasty Coach A. You can go and let him know that I said it. I absolutely live <laughs> off of driving that man nuts. Look, that's going to do it for the program. You can find Jacob over there at FF underscore RTDD. Oh, my God. At FF underscore RTDB for all things terrible running back related. Uh, he'll keep you informed. Yeah, check, out, you can, check out the next column. 
Yeah, absolutely. It is up over there at playerprofiler.com. You can find me at Thomas Dipple FF. You can find me in the Discord. Look, we have some big things coming down the way, uh, and I know some people say that, but I really fucking mean it, and it couldn't be possible without every single one of you. We love each and every single one of you. Cannot wait to let that uh, out. Remember, there are people on the other side of your screens. Remember that. But don't be afraid to talk a little shit in those leagues. Those wins are, are big. They don't ask how. They ask how many. Remember that clear eyes and full hearts can't lose to your best days? Well, goddamn, they're always spent tilting. Good night, everybody. This was a great time. 